Let Him Go Barefoot is a podcast that dives into all things parenting and education through the lens of mindful awareness. Conversations aim to bring forward patterns, beliefs, and attitudes that shape our expectations and ideas about what it means to raise healthy children. With the blend of science, ancient wisdom, and intuition, we will explore ways to support, nurture, and connect with our growing children while also nurturing and expanding ourselves. I am grateful you are here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of the Let Em Go Barefoot podcast. This episode is moving, it's deep, and it's an open conversation with the lovely Emma Hosfeld. I met Emma on Instagram where she writes moving and beautiful pieces on parenting, education, and healing. I was immediately drawn to the way that she can get to the heart of things. Her pictures and her captions invite us in. She shares about the simple moments in life that really aren't so simple. And she discusses her personal struggles and triumphs. She digs into various ideas, challenging us to think deeper. But most importantly, her writing calls us to show up to life with radical responsibility and radical joy. In our conversation, Emma shares with us about her struggle with drugs and alcohol. She talks about her sobriety journey, what it has been like to become a mother, and making the choice to be a healthy role model for her three kids. We talk about the importance of building an intentional community for ourselves and our children, which is a nice extension of my previous episode and conversation with Julie Walter, where we discussed the power of community. If you haven't had a chance to listen to episode 17, it's a great one. Emma and I also talk about the fear and worry that we carry around as humans, but how vital it is to accept it as it is and move forward anyway. I think you will love this conversation just like I did, but fair warning, get your tissues ready. Emma reads a few of her pieces and they hit deeply. Maybe I was feeling extra sensitive during our conversation, but probably not. It just shows the power of how she strings words, experiences, and emotions together. Here is my conversation with Emma Hosfeld. Hello, my name is Emma Hosfeld. I'm I'm a wife. I've been married for 12 years, and we're a military family in the Marine Corps. I'm a mother of three never-schooled kids. We have three kids. We have... Quinn, who's about to turn seven. We have Jade, who's five and a half. And we have Lily, who is four. So we did the the three under three thing, uh, which is a whole, you could have a whole podcast just on that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a writer. I share, I share most of my writing on Instagram um, at the handle Emma.Hosfeld. And by trade, I'm actually a dog groomer. So I work professionally I've been doing that for about 10 years, but now I work with um, high needs dogs. So dogs that are, for whatever reason, they can't go to a regular groomer. Um, They come to me, I give them one-on-one care, and that's what I do for basically for money, (laughs) right? Um, So uh, that, and that, that has meant a lot to our family. We're also a rescue family. So we have lots of animals. We have 
a dog, two cats, some frogs, um, and more have kind of passed through over the years. But so we're we're very heavy on the animal animal stuff mm-hmm. here. Um, we could we can relate to that, yes, for sure. And especially having young kids, it makes it so much more lively and entertaining, and and they love it. Does. It, it it's mm-hmm. awesome uh, for some reason. Mm-hmm. Well, I I can also relate to the dog grooming thing, not that specifically, but I do um, pet sitting and dog walking, <laughs> and I love it. And so it's just, you know, it's something to do. We we have boarded dogs here. We used to um, and worked with a small, a small breeder, not a small breeder, mm-hmm. but a small rescue. So she yeah. would get tons of dogs, sometimes like 20 and 30 at a time um, from like those failed sort of breeder situations. And um, sure. actually our dog is from one of those. And, uh, cool. and so we used to, we used to have pets, puppies here constantly. And then we took a big break mainly because the kids were busier, but I'm just mm-hmm. personally like, we're going to start doing that again. <laughs> yeah. And the thing I love about dogs too, is it, it brings community together mm-hmm. in a weird way. You didn't expect like I have, so I grew out of my home. And so I have about 200 clients and they come to my home. They, they know my family. It's like, it's just, it ties the whole community together in such a unique way. That is um, really neat. Yes. Yeah. So I, lo- I love that. I love that word. Mm-hmm. And we were talking before we started recording about the community and importance of that for our kids mm-hmm. and having those kind of consistent people that they, they can mm-hmm. learn from and grow from and um, who mm-hmm. kind of look out for them. Yeah. One of the most important things to me has been my clients are also my friends. Some of them are in our homeschooling community. Mm, um, okay. Or they're friends with my parents. Or we, um, I guess as an offshoot here, we live in kind of an idyllic, beautiful, people call it like a hallmark town, uh-huh. right? It's, it's a small little Midwest town um, right on the Mississippi River. And it's, 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 everyone kind of knows each other. It's like, it's that really beautiful kind of old timey community. And I feel like that's so important for kids when they go to the grocery store, they know the checker by name. They know our male woman. Um, she brings them suckers, you know, like they know the mayor, they've met the mayor, like that whole feeling of community is, I feel like it's so powerful in our lives. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel like I grew up with that same sense of community. I went to school about 45 minutes away from where I lived, mm. right? So I felt like there was a divide there. Um, and being able to raise my kids in a small town setting where their family is here um, and they see their friends, if they go to the park, they might run into someone they know. It's it, That's really meaningful to me, mm-hmm. building so yeah well and you know speaking of the the school part you know so much of what I ran into when I was in the schools were people who didn't live necessarily in the community where the schools were so they couldn't participate in a lot of the extracurricular or after school activities because it was just too difficult to get back and you know I like how um, there are a lot of different well places throughout the country that that do tend to have schools kind of closer to where people are kind of filtering in. But Mm -hmm. um, I I do think as unschoolers or homeschoolers, we do have to kind of build that community and be a much more intentional. So it's nice that you have a space that's already established that can kind of expand out for your kids. It's a, it's definitely a beautiful location. 
um, for that. And it, you're right, it is our responsibility because when we choose not to send our kids to school, we don't have that built-in structure of here's 30 other kids your age um, and the parents seeing them in the school pickup line. And that's, it's very structured, um, very institutionalized, but it's, it's a, it's a net of community. Mm-hmm. It's you something. Yeah. It's something. And, um, there's value in that, you know? And when we step outside of that, it's our responsibility to say, Hey, we're, we are going to build this for our family. This is important to us. And, um, I've, I've, I've witnessed that firsthand. We, um, we built a homeschooling community from the ground up here in 2020. Oh, nice. Okay. So how did that come about? So a friend of mine and I were meeting at the park. This was when most of the parks here were shut, shut down. Um, and we said, well, our kids are going to play on the playground. Okay. And, (laughs) um, and so we were talking and she was saying all, all of these other, um, some of the wild and free groups. Um, we live outside of the city of St. Louis. So a lot of these groups were coming from the city where things were a lot more tightly closed down. And um, we said, we we can't keep our kids in our houses away from each other. This isn't, you know, that's not mm-hmm. working for us. Um, and so she came to me with the idea of starting a homeschool community group that met once a week. And I said, yes, let's do it. And so we've used Facebook primarily uh, to to admin that, and it has grown to over fifty families. Wow! And we meet about twice a week now, and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's truly li- it's life changing. Yeah, it is. So how how does it work then? How, how is it like? Do you call it a co op? Do you call it like a wild and free group? Is it more just kind of free flowy or? So it's interesting. We actually have we already have in our small town a Christian co op. Okay, that requires a statement of faith to join. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's families in the community that don't feel comfortable, myself included, signing a statement of faith that perhaps doesn't align with our values. Right. Just to gain access to the homeschooling world, right? To have our kids play with the other homeschooling families, that, that doesn't sit right with me. And so um, – we have actually two things. We have our Wild Roots community, which is families that meet. We meet every Monday. And you just have to show up about once a month to stay part of the group, right? So it's a lot more free-flowing. We meet in parks. Um, and we do anything from like a play date to a more structured museum tour. Or we've done like vision board projects for our homeschooling year. Um like nature scavenger hunts. We do a lot of hiking, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we've also um, created a co-op of our own. So this is an all-inclusive co-op that sits alongside the Christian co-op in our town so that families have a choice to either do both. We do them on different days. So you could do both if you wanted to. Um, but this is an all-inclusive co-op. So we don't require a statement of faith, but we do, this is more structured than the community. Um, we meet every Tuesday and we meet and it's actually a, t- a church basement um, and there's actual classes. So kids can choose what classes to sign up for, go to their 8 a.m. class, their 830 class. We parents lead the classes. So we offer everything from like math classes to yoga and gymnastics 
pretty much the full scope. Right. Sounds so familiar to our experience when my kids were younger. We had the same idea, like groups that would just meet to kind of hike and be very free flowy. Mm -hmm. And then we had the more structured one. And, you know, I ran up against my own, my, my own beliefs, I guess, if you will, like Mm -hmm. thinking that unschooling meant da 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 da. And then if we're doing classes, are we really unschooling and all that, all the stuff that comes up with, you know, trying to be rigid and sticking into these boxes. And I was like, what am I doing? The whole reason I'm, we're homeschooling (laughs) is so that we don't have to put ourselves in these boxes and have activities and interact with kids and families and do things that match what we want and need. Um, Mm -hmm. And I found over time, and especially looking back, depending on the kids, some kids want that structure. They want that weekly thing, you know? And so I think it just continues to go back to pay attention to the kid in front of you, ask questions, you know, get feedback from them, see what they want. um, And then, and then go from there. And I, I found with our co-op that we did for quite a few years, it was a wonderful experience. And it also connected my kids to so many different people. And so it was kind of like, it just sort of webbed out from there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, so, you know, we met through Instagram and I started following you. I'm not really even sure how, just like most Instagram pages. <laughs> I don't know how, where, when it just happens. Right. <laughs> and I have loved your writing, Emma. I think you, you are really gifted and you share things that just get to the heart of, of the matter. And I love what you, you've, I think you've recently kind of updated your Instagram um what is that? What do they even call that? A byline? Your description of your page? Yeah, I guess like a, in your bio. Bio. Right? Yes. There we go. So sure. it says radical responsibility and radical joy. And I really like that. And I'm just wondering, you know, how did you get there? Where, where did this idea come from? And, you know, how do you live that mm-hmm. out in your life right now? Sure. I guess so. Something else to mention um, about me is I am seven years sober. Right. So in my past, um, I was kind of a low life, for lack of a better term. Um, I used basically any illicit drug that I could mention. Um, and and I what I know about myself during that time is that I was uh, basically running away. I was escaping anything that's uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the uncomfortable feeling, um, especially any feeling of vulnerability. And... Um, And so for me, radical responsibility, radical joy is kind of like a formula for living fully in and recognizing the the full scope of our humanity, right? With its limitations, its ugly side, its positive side. And um, I think without the ugly side, you don't get the positive side. Right. So without sitting in the depth of my vulnerability, that comes with all the shame and anger and sadness without that, I can't access the joy, Mm. right? I can't, you can't get there. Um, And so I think it means taking responsibility for the fullness of your humanity, including all those ugly parts. Yeah. Um, At its core, I think that's what it means to me. Um, Okay. And it's a message of self-respect. Like um, to me, self-respect means doing what you say you're going to do in alignment with your values. And I guess part of that means you have to know what your values are. Right. And, and, but after you know what your values are, you have to do what you say you're going to do. And that includes doing what you 
tell yourself you're going to do mm-hmm. and doing what you know to be the right thing. Um, because I think a lot of the time, if we get really still, um, I think it's Jordan Peterson who said, if you don't know the next right things, get, sit on your bed, get really quiet and, and you'll know, like, you'll know the next right thing. It will come to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you, it won't be an answer you want. Right. Yeah. Um, but it'll, it'll come to you. So I think it's knowing what the next right thing to do is and, and then doing it. And that's how you gain self-respect. And that's what an addict doesn't have is self-respect. Sure. Well, and it's, it's like, um, uh, it's not why the addiction, but why the pain. Right. You know? And so people start, if you can stop for a second and think about it and not call yourself a name as an quote unquote addict, but why did I get here? You know, where did this all come from? And then, you know, bring, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of bravery and strength and even awareness to be able to even start going down that road of, of peeling back those layers and looking at the the road that was paved to get you where you are. And so what do you, what was your turning point? Did you have like a, a couple of things or a specific thing that just kind of got you to where you were like, okay, this is enough. Yeah. So I think, I think two things. I, something I would mention is, um, have you ever heard of the Nagoski sisters? I haven't. Okay. Um, they do work on emotions and it's, it's really interesting, but they talk about, um, emotions as being tunnels, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you have to go all the way through, Yeah, get out. Otherwise you get stuck in it. And I think sometimes as, as an addict, you, it is why the pain, because there is pain there, right? But once you know, once you recognize that pain and where it's coming from, you still have to go all the way through it to the other side, right? right? There's no, there's no way out of that. Um, And there's no shortcuts. There's not. There's not. And that's it. That's why it's hard, but it's also so empowering because there is another side there to those feelings, those really dark, ugly feelings that we all experience. Um, We don't have to try to shortcut them. We can go all the way through and you can survive the feeling and get all the way to the other side of the tunnel where your nervous system can calm down a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the turning point for me was actually giving birth to my first son. Oh. Um and I know. <laughs> I know. Oh. <laughs> I know. And um at the time, let's see, when I first got pregnant with him, I went to like a traditional OB and you know, they were doing like cervical checks at 12 weeks and just stuff that looking back I'm like why were we Yeah, so invasive, that? right? Right. And, um, I didn't feel like I had a really a voice in the pregnancy or my medical care. And I, um, at the time I was following some people, this is really fun for me because I get to mention someone I really love, um, January Harshi mm. of birth without fear. She's no longer on Instagram, but you can go back and look at her full archive. How do you um, spell her last name? It's Harshi, H-A-R-S-H-E. S-H-E, okay. Yeah, and I think you can find her at the handle, just Birth Without Fear. Birth, okay. She might have one under her name and at Birth Without Fear, if I'm not mistaken. But um, she's also written a book under the same title, Birth Without Fear. Got and it. And so anyway, I was following people like her and like the Empowered Birth Project. Um, and this is where Instagram and stuff is like such a powerful tool, right? Because I was just flipping through on my phone and I can say with complete certainty that that 
changed the trajectory of my entire life. Wow. And some of these women that were sharing, just sharing their experiences on Instagram or whatever. And it can be so powerful. So anyway, um, so that birth was very challenging. He was premature. He was a month premature. And I didn't, I, although I had transferred to a birth center, I did not get to give birth in the birth center because he was a month premature. So I ended up in a hospital um, with an OB I didn't know. And I labored for 18 hours oh, and I, I, I pushed for six and a half. Wow. Um, which is kind of insane looking back. Like most OBs wouldn't let you do that, but that's what we did. Mm. Um, and I, throughout that entire labor, I was also sick with, um, a, a terrible cold, right? So I'm coughing the whole time, can barely breathe. Um, and, uh, and my, myself and my husband through the whole time had to advocate for ourselves because we didn't want any unnecessary interventions. Um, so the nurses are coming in offering, uh, and pushing for some of these interventions. And, and we went through this experience of having to really advocate for ourselves, you know, like, no, we don't want that. We don't, we don't need the Pitocin. We don't need, um, any pain medication, like we're, this is how we're doing this. And, and obviously the birth itself was very challenging physically. And yet I got to the other side of that. And my month premature son was born perfectly healthy. Mm. Um, and I just remember this feeling of like, I, I can go all the way through that and I'm okay. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm really okay. Like I'm more than okay. And, and, and being like, wow, like I have really been playing small, hmm. you know? Interesting. So I, yeah. I think I, I got sober when I became pregnant with him. Okay. But in my head, hmm. I think I was still like, what's going to happen after this pregnancy? Like what? I didn't trust myself. I didn't have that self-respect of knowing that I could trust myself to do what I said I needed to do. Mm. Almost like your brain put things on pause. You didn't make any commitments. Right. You were like, we're just going to, we're not going to talk about it. We're just going to go through this part. And then, you know, that life might come back, but you, yeah, it wasn't quite there yet. And even then, you know, I breastfed him and through the breastfeeding, I, I guess I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not going to drink or do anything that would hurt my baby. So I, still mentally was kind of like, I had that peace in my head knowing I could do hard things. I made it through that. It, it was the foundation of what came next. But, um, I got pregnant immediately then about nine months later with my second son. So pregnant breastfeeding, pregnant breastfeeding. I feel like I had this, this barrier in my mind. That's like, well, I'm not doing anything now, but there was this kind of unspoken question in the back of my head. Like what's going to happen once these kids grow up? Like, am I going to fall back? I did. I didn't trust myself fully. Mm. Um, and then we had, when I was first pregnant with my second son, my brother-in-law um, died. He died. He overdosed on fentanyl. Oh gosh. And yeah. And when I was 16 years old, I overdosed on fentanyl. <gasps> Emma. <laughs> right. And um, I woke up in an ambulance, and they said five more minutes, and you wouldn't be here. And so I, I had a moment where we were standing in the morgue, looking at his body with this baby in my belly, right? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, like, "Wow, that that really could have been me. Yeah, like really could have been me. It should have been me. And because um, I made the same choice he made, I just got luckier, right? Yeah. 
Um, and, and when I walked out of the morgue, I felt m- more alive than I've ever felt in my life. How about that? Isn't that wild? And yeah. I felt, I remember I was just walking through the grocery store before I went home thinking, I feel so like this is a gift. Yeah. You know, like, like the choice I, I was being so disrespectful just to to life itself or to whatever higher power we want to talk about. Like it, the choices I was making to try to hide, I was hiding from life, right? Like I was hiding from being fully alive. And I think after that, I was like, that's, it's so selfish. It's incredibly self. I was making very selfish choices, trying to stay small. And so that's what radical responsibility is to me. It's like taking responsibility for this, this life and gift that's not, it's not guaranteed Mm -hmm. and we choose what we do with it. Right. Yeah. So like I can wax poetic about things that happened in my childhood. Um, My brother-in-law had things happen in his childhood. I'm sure, you know, we can connect all the dots and, and list all the things that it's like, well, this is why I make the poor decisions I make. I have this pain. Um, But at the end of the day, we have to make choices. Absolutely. Yeah. Taking responsibility for our lives is so important. And that, and then that's how you get to these moments of bliss and joy and feeling alive and feeling connected to each other. And, and it all balances out, you know? Yeah. Gosh, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. Um, (laughs) I know um, my mind is really racing. So I'm going to try to (laughs) put it in, in some sense of order. Okay. So walking out of the morgue, and feeling more alive than you've ever felt. You know, the juxtaposition of those feelings, I've, I know people know exactly what you're talking about. When something's supposed to be so terrible and sad and hard, and then simultaneously there's joy and happiness and life. Yeah. And, you know, for me and my personal experiences on this road of, of life and ups and downs and difficulties and triumphs, I know I've I've felt that exact same thing. You know, my mom died very suddenly and I felt like the, my, my, I felt like the ground just fell out from underneath me and I just got sucked in. And, and then within, you know, a couple of days, I had the most, the most peace in my body that I've ever felt in my entire life. And I was Mm -hmm. like, how can I have peace right now with this big hole in my life? Um, so it sent me on quite a journey of discovery and acceptance that in order to be here, you have to show up for it all. You can't yeah. pick and choose. And even if you want to play small, you're going to be constantly challenged to not. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so instead of running away, being curious, being yes. open not making a decision necessarily right when something happens, but just sitting with it. Um, Also circling, putting, putting people around you that can help you because I do believe that that's one of the missing pieces for a lot of people's uh, recovery and healing is there's so much you can do on your own. And I absolutely encourage people to think about what they can do on their own, but there's, we, we can't discount the fact that, having a network and a, and a safety net and like yes. an environment that in, encourages your healing 
is really powerful too. Absolutely. And I think some of that is being, it's being vulnerable with people because they can't help you if you're not being your authentic self. Mm -hmm. And that, that was something I struggled with a lot was I didn't feel like in, in high school, in my young adult life, I didn't feel like there was somewhere where I could be 100% authentically myself. Um, and, and I felt like I was almost splitting my personality. Like I have my work self and I have my, my self when I go visit my family and I have like my friend self when we go out to the bars or whatever, like I have my wife self for my husband. And it's just like this fracturing mm. and a strong community. What is the gift of a strong community is, is like we we can be our authentic selves. That's the measure of the health of a community almost is how, um, how much we feel we can really show up. The, and yeah. That belonging no matter what. Yes. Yes. And, and sometimes we have to create that for, for ourselves. I think like um, I had that experience when, let's see, I guess I would have been pregnant with my third and, and I looked around, I realized I, you know, I'm, I, I'm kind of, it was like, I guess after that experience with the death of my brother-in-law and after the experience of giving birth twice. And, and I kind of knew I was on this like sobriety journey, but I, I looked around and I did not have any friends, mm. you know, I, my mom and dad have always been there. So, and I don't want to glaze over that fact that they are a support network for me that a lot of people don't have. So that I don't, I don't want to downplay that they have been the whole time, but I, I did not have any friends. Mm-hmm that I could look to. Right. And that, that was just so vitally missing in my life. Um, and I think I spent a couple of months at least knowing that and just kind of feeling sorry for myself. Like, well, I can't, what can I do? I have two babies and I'm pregnant again. And like, I go to work every day and I can't like go out and make friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, one day I was this, I said, this is enough. Like I, I have to take a step and I reached out on my birth, my birth, uh, birth center had a Facebook page. And that was like one of the only places where I knew like a bunch of women my age were, right. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that many friends on Facebook, nothing. So I went on there and I literally almost begged for friends. Yeah. I, said, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I, I want someone to come and, you know, get together with. And, um, and the crazy thing is, a girl from my hometown who also went to that birth center commented and said, me too. Yeah. That's also me. That's the situation I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, I, I, I want to start getting together too. I don't have any friends either. And she invited me over to her house. And we had kids kind of the same age. And from that point, from me and her having that really awkward, weird, vulnerable mm-hmm. first play date where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to show up some stranger's house. Um, and like, what if she doesn't like me, you know? Right. <laughs> and, uh, what are my kids act crazy? And like it from that place has grown the homeschool community we have now, the co-op we have now, um, and a, a whole network, like a just a big spider web of support in our community. Like, and it's on Facebook, which is, I know, I know that social media can get a bad rap sometimes, but it's a tool and we can use it to oh, yeah. take like that and create the community that we want. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think it's a wonderful tool and, um, and it, it, it with the way things are in, in life right now, it, it kind of is yeah. the, the most 
logical thing to use to connect to people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I guess on, with the, the point of community as it relates to like sobriety and getting help, I think sometimes you, you still have to create that community for yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's still taking responsibility. And then you have those people through vulnerability. That's how you make those connections. That's how you maintain those connections um, is through that, that vulnerability. Absolutely. And, and so really getting vulnerable and feeling really, really uncomfortable is always the first step, no matter what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and gosh, some really amazing stuff comes out of that. It sure does. And I think so much, it depends on the messages you heard growing up too. you know, what, what, mm-hmm. what stories were you told about sharing your opinion and your feelings yes. and how, how does that, um, the people that maybe said, well, we don't want to go down that road or we don't want to talk about that thing or we want to keep that quiet. You know, a lot of that can play into how people now as adults want to express themselves, um, which, you know, we I think we all can agree that all of us can get a little too emotional and a little too into our feelings and not tapping into reality. But, you know, that's kind of where it starts. You got a feeling about something and it's kind of like a little nudge or, mm-hmm. or it's a big waving red flag. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it runs the, runs the gamut of like, a, and then, and then sometimes it's that little voice, like, or that little inner knowing something needs to change, something needs to shift. And I think you hit on something super important, which is that if you need it, chances are somebody else does too. And right. so why not just put it out there and just see what happens? And it might not be immediate. You might have to be patient and it might be small mm-hmm. at first. And it might stay small, you know, it, it might not turn anything big and that's okay too, but you got to start somewhere. Right. Like with our, with our homeschool community that we have grown, I have hosted events where no one showed up, nobody. Mm-hmm. And I've also hosted events where 20 families came and everything in between. And you, you, you know, so when you're getting vulnerable and trying to build something new or make connections with new friends, like sometimes it's going to be like that. I've, I've invited people over to my house and had like one person show up mm-hmm. and it can be like, Oh, this is awkward, but that's, that's the journey. You know, like it, all of those like kind of awkward moments have led us to have this like beautiful thriving community. Yeah. Well, and um, a lot of times it's not about you either. Right. It's the, it, especially when you're, trying to organize for a bunch of people or in a community of some sort it just might be all about the timing it just didn't work out for so many people for whatever reason but it doesn't mean it's anything about you it's just about the the situation that everybody else is in right well you know talking about your writing um there's a post you made in relation to your sobriety and how would you feel about reading it to us okay I can do that Okay. I think I can do that. Uh, no, we can try. We can try. <laughs> okay. So this is a post about, um, it's, it's 14 years ago. So I've been sober for seven years. Um, but about 14 years ago was when, um, this is a reflection on when I was downtown in my little city with my kids recently. And we were leaving the theater, um, where my mom is the director for local community. It's just idyllic. Like we're down there. It's beautiful. You know, my family's there. Um, uh, At the theater, we met some of our homeschool friends, you know, at the restaurant across the street. I know the people that work there. Like it just feels so great down there. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet I remember 
14 years ago when I was down there, I was like just doing drugs, like doing drug deals in people's houses, like just horrible stuff, right? Like, um, so I think it's this reflection on like, really life can be what you make it. Like it's made out of these choices we make. And it felt so empowering to know like I've made it to this place where I can be in the same location with a lot of the like same people are around still in this town. And yet the choices that I've made and the community that we've built and um, has, has made all the difference, right? It's changed. It's changed everything. Right. Uh, And the mistakes don't have to define you. They don't. That's right. That's right. Um, So anyway, I'll read it. Okay. (laughs) 14 years ago, On this very street, I was doing cocaine in the back of a dirty red Corvette. 14 years ago, on this very street, I was throwing up naked and drunk in a strange man's bathroom. 14 years ago, on this very street, I bought a bottle of pills from a stranger. 14 years ago, on this very street, in a house now demolished, unspeakable things happened. And today, today... Today, I stand rocking my sweet sleeping child on this very street. Two more children looking at me from my minivan. (laughs) Today, my sweet husband's taking my photo. Today, I'm on my way home to my cozy little cottage house to eat snacks and go to sleep. Today, I can hear house parties in the distance. I can hear women at the bar screaming. I see them stumbling. I could tell you I'm a different person now. But I'm not. I'm the same person, with one exception. 14 years ago, I was a coward. I was running away. But today, on this very street, today I take responsibility for my life. No matter where you are, your life is in your hands. Step up. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) That's so good. You made it through, but I'm not sure I did. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Wow, Emma, that's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. And it's important, you know. Um, I think I, you know, I've told you right at the beginning the whole reason that I think these conversations matter is because people get strength from others' stories. Yes. They can see what's possible. They can get ideas. They can be challenged. Um, you know, they can be inspired. And mm-hmm. I think what you've written is powerful for all those reasons. And it also teaches us that we're not alone. And, you know, if anything, I think social media has certainly helped people realize that they're not alone in their fear or their worry or their concern or their, um, you know, even their joy, you know, that's, that's the other part of it too, is that sometimes we think we need to have somebody always for the the negative side, but we also need somebody for the positive side. We need people who celebrate when we win and celebrate when we're excited and happy and, and meet us with that equal excitement, not just when we're sad, they only show up for the, for the sort of downtime, you know? Yes. And I think I'm curious about the fact that you're back in the same place where all those things happened. And I imagine you're seeing some of the same people, like maybe within mm-hmm. your families, uh, your parents sure. age brackets or age groups, you know, do you feel like there's been a full circle moment for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there has been, uh, I don't know if it's a moment 
Yeah, sure. That I can narrow it down to, but I do feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that now we, you know, we own this like adorable little house in the same town. And, um, and across the street from my house, I can see the high, the building where I went to high school. It's now their junior high building, but it was our high school. My husband and I both went there. I can see it right now from where I'm sitting mm-hmm. out my window. And there's, oh gosh, there's something about that. Like I had some really terrible experiences in that building um, and around there. And I can remember like down the street from here, like smoking cigarettes and, and, and I can like look out my adorable little cottage house with like my cat on my lap Mm -hmm. and my kids. And like, I just, gosh, it, it does feel full circle, you know, Mm -hmm. like it feels like I've made it, (laughs) but it's still a choice that I make every day. Yeah. Right. So it's not, it's not like the journey is over. Um, but even where it doesn't relate to like drug use and alcohol, like I, it's still a journey of like making the right little micro choices. Right. Um, and yeah, it does feel full circle. Yeah. Well, and also the mindset and making a decision, you know, you mentioned earlier about having values and what your values are. And I think it's important to call out the fact that a lot of people don't really even know what their values are. And I don't say that and to be like a, you know, a negative thing. It's more like just a recognition and not because they don't want to, but maybe they weren't taught to, or maybe sure. they weren't in a situation or a family that really discussed values or discussed things like that openly. Um, and children were sort of left to their own devices to create a value system for themselves. And sure. So when you get, so I I encourage people whenever I talk to anybody about homeschooling or unschooling is to kind of get clear with their why on why they're homeschooling. Why do they want to unschool? And I think that's the same for life in general. What's your why? You know, what makes you want to show up every day? What makes you excited? What makes you want to tip, tip the scales uh, of, of the world towards goodness and, you know, let those things be your the wind in your sails, if you will, you know? Absolutely. That's definitely a huge piece of the the de-schooling journey. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of that, you know, you homeschool and unschool, and you also write a lot about that, your mothering experience, um, being the role model that you want to be for your kids and what unschooling looks like. And you wrote a post, um, I think it was like August 9th, maybe. And it was about, um, it was about unschooling and what it is. And Mm -hmm. then also, um, I'm going to read the line from it. It says, um, it's what do unschooling parents do? And you kind of explained it. And I think we should read that one too, if it's okay with you, because I think it was beautifully done. Um, But you have the line at the end, it's nothing revolutionary. It's often simple, but it is work. And I found it. Let's see. Okay, good. Um, Should I read the whole thing for you? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay. What do unschooling parents do? Here's just one example from our home with young children. Okay. On the 4th of July, we took the kids out to the country to light our small fireworks. Our oldest found a hot bucket full of tadpoles. Thousands of tadpoles. He was mesmerized. And we could have left it at that. But I'm their guide, I'm their facilitator, and above all, I'm their role model. 
Modeling curiosity and investigation is the name of the game. So I suggested we scoop out some with the water bottle. We slurped them up, okay? <laughs> with the water bottle. I don't know how else to get them out. <laughs> uh, I stuck my hand in the slime and I siphoned out 15 perfect little tadpoles. I cared for them all night, making sure they didn't overheat while we watched fireworks. I explained what to expect when raising tadpoles and what conditions they might need to thrive. I made dechlorinated treated water for them when we got home late at night. I was tired. (laughs) (laughs) I drove the kids to the thrift store the next day and we found a $5 reptile tank. I placed the tank at eye level for the littlest children so they could observe our tiny visitors over the next 10 weeks. I changed the water twice a day. The children helped. I made sure that they were fed quality frog food. I explained why overfeeding hurts the frogs. I helped them find books at the library about amphibians. I read them aloud at bedtime. I noticed and made sure to tell the kids when the first legs appeared. I invited their friends over to see. I helped them scoop the first two frogs out of the tank safely. I drove them to the lake inlet and I showed them how to hold out their hands so the first two frogs could hop on and say goodbye. It's nothing revolutionary. It's often simple, but it is work. You don't have to buy a curriculum and sit down at the kitchen table and talk about bodies of water and amphibians and draw beautiful pictures on a chalkboard. I mean, you can if you want to. But... If you require them to pay attention to you talk about frogs from 8 to 8.15 and then you do a worksheet about what you taught them before they're allowed to go outside and play in the backyard, kind of loses its magic, doesn't it? This is education without schooling. Unschooling requires the parents to be interested and willing to engage in the world around them. Our whole life is learning for us and for them. Yeah, gosh, so good. And, you know, it, that's such a great example of how you can replicate that sort of idea over and over again with your kids. And it doesn't have to be just the moment itself. It can be the moment and you can expand on the moment and you can stretch it out. And it, it's, uh, it's very powerful. And again, it's the living part. Right. That the kids want. Uh, right. And so I didn't have, like, it, it is, it is a lot of work. It, part of it's just noticing, like, their eyes light up, right? Like, we were out there and I, I noticed the tadpoles and I said, like, hey, buddy, look, tadpoles. And, like, that look in his eye, like, mm-hmm. wow. You know, it's curiosity um, right there. Like, you can see it in their face. Yeah. Um, and whenever I see that, it's like, okay, well, there's something here. Like, that's the curiosity is the jumping off point to all the learning mm-hmm. in, in my mind and in, in unschooling, it's like our gateway to everything else. Um, because I'm not, I don't have a curriculum where I top down teach. And so there still has to be like a starting point and the starting point is their curiosity. Right. Um, then I facilitate the rest. Like that's my role. Cause I, as an unschooling parent, like you don't just, you can't just sit down and, and do nothing. That's mm-hmm. not it either, right? I know that's like a that's like a big misconception. And when people hear unschooling, it's like unparenting. Like mm-hmm. un- <laughs> you're not you're not doing anything with your kids. But, but that's not it. You know, like it is work. 
Um, it's just a different kind of work that doesn't always look the same from the outside. Like you can't see me sitting down and teaching them um, what is an amphibian, right? Or um, this is the life cycle of a frog. Like I've, we've literally never had a worksheet that showed the life cycle of a frog, um, but we've talked about it. And when he said, mommy, can I look at pictures of frogs on the internet? We, you know, yeah. I'll pull it up for him and we look together and um, yeah, it's, it's simple, but I, I just think it's so cool. Like how we can do that with anything. Like he gets interested in, oh my gosh, like my first child, my, he's almost, he's just about to turn seven and he can be interested in anything. He is just like, he can dive so deep into his interests. I love watching that. It's like, it it's really magical. Mm-hmm. It's inspiring too. You forget kind of like what that looks like. I think as adults, sometimes, especially when we yeah. went through the system where it was like everything had a timeline on it or a timer mm-hmm. and to really see our kids dive deeply into a topic is, it's quite fascinating. And I know throughout the whole years of us unschooling and, um, there were times where I'm like, I'm learning so much. Yeah. I remember absolutely. feeling cheated as a kid now. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know this stuff or why didn't I get a chance to, you know, there was a lot of that that went on for me at the beginning. And then finally was like, okay, just let that go. You're here now. Let's do this. And yeah, you're right. It's, it's so fascinating to watch how yeah. deeply they can go with things. It's so cool. There's so many moments where they'll say something or they're, they'll do something um, just on their own. And like my husband and I, we look at each other like, man, this is, <laughs> this is how it can be. Yeah. You know, and my mother, my mother is a retired school teacher. Okay. Uh, working, she worked mostly in early childhood. Um, and she's told me multiple times, I, she said, I, I did not know it could be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, which I just think is like, it's heartbreaking and, and inspiring and beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's a, brilliant teacher right um in and being a teacher has its own skill set like you have 30 kids in a classroom that that's that's something different yes it is having your child in your home that's it's a whole different ball game like that requires a different skill set it does um yeah I think that's what broke me because (laughs) it was like impossible impossible I couldn't I couldn't wrap my mind around that at all It's, yeah, it's something. And, you know, like I teach art at our co-op to a classroom full of kids. And so it takes like, you know, group, you have to manage a group of kids. Mm -hmm. It's classroom management skills. It's a whole thing. And so I get like a little peek into that and I've seen my mother do it and it's, um, and she's just brilliant at it. But it's, what's different about doing it at something like the co-op is all the kids want to be there. Right. That buy-in is so important. Yeah. It is. Um, it's it's like consent-based education mm-hmm. in a weird way for, for most of these families. And like for mine, we had a, our five-year-old recently said, I don't want to go to co-op. I don't like it. I don't want to go back. Um, yeah. And, and it was like, oh, okay. And this is where I have to like walk the walk of unschooling where it's like, we, we can figure out a way for you to not go. But his brother and sister still want to go. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, I think unschooling is this weird, like it's consent based, but you can't just say, well, you don't want to go. Well, none of us will go, mm-hmm. you know, 
it's a, it's a, it's a family thing. It, it involves the whole family and you have to take every individual into consideration. I think that's like, it's so healthy because you're practicing consent, but consent doesn't just relate to one person in the family. It's all of us. So Mm -hmm. we, we work together to make sure all of our needs are met. And, um, that's where the good stuff is. I think for unschooling, like we, we can learn how to, people say like, how, well, how will they ever learn how to do things they don't want to do? <laughs> um, <laughs> if you just let them, oh, he doesn't want to go. You just let him stay home. Like, how is he ever going to get grit and learn how to do what he doesn't want to do? Um, he does what he doesn't want to do all the time, first of all, yeah. <laughs> because he has a brother and a sister and a mother and a father and everyone else's needs matter too. Um, so that's how we live our lives. But I guess another another piece of that is of learning how to do hard things is like I see my unschooled kids doing hard things. Oh, man, things Mm -hmm. that matter to them. Uh, Learning how to do a very difficult task that that in some way matters to you, like you see the value in it, even if you're like, I hate doing this, but I have to do it to get to the next thing. Right. Um, That's that's more important. I don't want my kids to grow up and learn how to do what other people tell them to do mm-hmm. just because like, I, I want them to have some buying in it too, even in a workplace. Like if, if that work environment and that job, uh, the whole thing isn't serving you, then I want them to have enough self-respect to know, like if, if self-respect is doing like it, it's trusting yourself, then I want them to trust themselves enough to say, I can leave this job and I can find a different opportunity and something that works for me and um, and kind of have some precedent for that. Like, oh, remember when I didn't like doing that one class, um, I quit I, I quit, and I went and did something else. And, and then I, you know, or remember when that was really hard for me, but I really wanted to learn how to play the guitar. So I just, like my son is very into instruments and learning the piano. And he'll get so frustrated not knowing how to do something. Right. And and he still pushes through and does it. And then he'll come to me and he knows how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like, and he got so frustrated. I mean, like, he gets upset, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then he still pushes through and does it. And some people say, well, how are they going to learn how to do things that are hard? I'm like, they're doing that every day. Yeah. You know? Well, and I, I think that speaks volumes about the messages that so many people get that you can't, you're not trusted to be able to do hard things and push through it and challenge yourself. So we have exactly. to do that to you. And, yes. um, and then the difference, of course, between doing something because somebody told you is that all you're doing is trying to find shortcuts and finish. And that's right. Nothing and that's, sticks. <laughs> that's what a lot of times grading does. Because I can remember times in school where it's like, you, you're getting a grade on it, right? So they give you a project or you're not going to choose the most challenging project that's super interesting to you that you're like, really curious about. Mm-hmm. Like you, you probably already lost that a couple years ago. You're like choosing something, you know, you can get a good grade on. You're going to write about an easier topic because you know, you it'll get you a better grade. So I think it creates this mindset when we grade kids and we're constantly evaluating them. It creates this like, well, let me choose the easiest path, like the path of least resistance, because what actually matters isn't this process 
or what I'm doing or what I'm interested in. What matters is like the how someone else is going to evaluate me. So let me just choose something easy. I could get a good grade, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, um, I just don't think it accomplishes what we want it to accomplish. Like, not at all. No. And it's not, it's not about, it's not that deep education. It's, it's more like you said earlier in your, you know, your post, it's, a, it's schooling. It's a game and you have to, you have to play that game. I'm not saying learning doesn't happen and you know that it does. I mean, we all learned something while we were there and yeah. plenty of connections were made, but yes. couldn't it possibly be that we could do it a better way? <laughs> yeah. We could do it in a way that, that I worry about the side effects of school. Yeah. Like, um, when I read, uh, early in my process of kind of, we always knew we wanted to homeschool, Okay. but early in my process of like, I think the first book I read was, uh, Pam Lorichia's free to learn. Mm. And I thought to myself, um, this is nonsense, quite frankly. And I love Pam Lorichia now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, but when I first read it, I was like, this is too far out there for me. Yeah. It seemed too extreme. It's too extreme. Letting kind of like, whoa, you know, no bedtimes, like, whoa. (laughs) Um, And gosh, and then I had a friend at the park that I really respected. And she has these lovely teenagers. And um, and I said, what curriculum do you use? I was in this like nervous place of, um, of like, oh my gosh, my kids are like my my child's about to turn four. Like, we got to get serious about this. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what, what curriculum do you use? You know, very worried. Um, and she said, oh, we unschool. And that was shortly after I'd read that free to learn. Mm. I thought, well, that's nonsense. And I saw her lovely children who are just, I mean, to this day, like so kind and considerate. And I just like, they're, you know, intelligent. And I, I'm, I'm like, well, maybe there's something more to this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, and as time has gone on, I've met more unschoolers with grown children and I'm like, okay, there's something to this. So the, when I read the next things I was kind of reading were like Peter Gray's free to learn, mm-hmm. uh, which one of my friends says kind of, she says it gives you the receipts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, this sounds good. Kind of sounds too good to be true. This unschooling thing mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I need the receipts. I need to see the studies that say that these kids aren't destitute on the side of the road um, as grownups. And I feel like Peter Gray kind of does that in his in his work. Um, Free to Learn does a good job of that. Naomi Fisher's Changing Our Minds does a good job of that too. Mm, okay. Um, but but when I read John Taylor Gatto, I I took the books to my husband. I said, "You have to read these books." Yeah, he's he's one of the ones that really will will push people over. Like just, you know, it's it's uh-huh. almost like no going back once you start reading his stuff. <laughs> it is. You it kind of not yeah, it knocks you back. You have to sit there and like take it in like oh man cuz you see so much especially as somebody who has gone through the K to 12 system mm-hmm. and won um, many awards or a, or a teacher of the year award on, on top of it. Right. Right. He did. And then for, for us to have gone through it, right? Like as parents, you can see so much truth in what he's saying mm-hmm. yeah. and it it's almost hard to read. <laughs> right. Because it feels, well, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. I felt, I felt hoodwinked, you know, I felt, mm-hmm. I felt manipulated and there was a lot of anger, honestly, <laughs> when, when yeah. I started really kind of going, oh my gosh, what are we doing? What have we done? Why are we still accepting things 
the way mm-hmm. that we are accepting things. And I, you know, I mean, of course I can understand all the reasons why certain things happen the way they do, but it doesn't mean that we can't question it and also start small. And I think that's what I'm witnessing over the last, you know, I've, I mean, I've been doing this now since, well, my son was born in 2001, but we didn't officially, mm-hmm. you know, start the whole process until he became close to school age. But I've seen such a growth in it and so many families saying, I want to take my life back now. I want to take my family back now. It's time for us to pull back in. It's time for us to make our family bond stronger and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, stop centering school so much. Yes. You know, I heard something the other day about how if you really think about how school has infiltrated our lives, it's. We, we organize um, communities around it, our yearly schedule around it, our holidays around it, and yet it's not that we've necessarily made things better because of it. And so it's, I think it's important for us to really examine what is its, what is its purpose, and if its yeah. purpose is not being fulfilled, then, you know. Like, yeah, we have to create new systems. Mm-hmm. If we see the the problem with it, that's where like it, the bravery comes in, and we have to say, "I'm, I, I trust myself enough that I'm going to step outside of this." Because uh, oh man, sending your kids to school feels like such a guarantee, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, feels like, like oh, I'm I'm handing this over to somebody. Like I can take this off my plate. Yeah, um, and it feels like a guarantee. Like there, it's not a guarantee. Nope, and. So yeah, it's having that, that self-trust and that responsibility piece to kind of step up and say, okay, I'm going to, I see this isn't working. I, I, I'm going to create something better and doing that in our communities, like all over the world, little by little, and it is growing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's so cool to watch. I think it really is. I, I don't remember the exact number, but I, um, had written about the hashtag unschooling on Instagram when I first started mm-hmm. on Instagram and it was like barely existent, you know, and now it's like a million or something. Oh, that's so cool. Or, you know, and I'm like, Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> so to see, I wish I would have written it down like the, the, and watched it get larger, but it's, you know, it's everywhere. Now yes. more and more people are gravitating towards it because, you know, I think we all, we sit, like you said earlier, if you sit still long enough, you'll get a message, you'll hear yeah. you know, that nudge is there. And it's just a matter of stepping up and answering yeah. that call. It can be so hard because you, you know, the next right thing, but you have those voices of, well, my mother-in-law will judge me. My, mm. you know, what will the teacher think when I pull my kid out of her class? Um, you know, am I going to be judged by my, my, whatever, my church community or whoever, uh, for this choice? Am I going to mess my kid up? Like you have all these doubts and these fears, but you still underneath all of that, know the next right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really about doing that. Yeah. Just all that noise and that fear. That's not, it doesn't go away really. It does, it does get quieter. I think as you start to live out your values, but it's, you'll never get to a place where you're living out your values and you have no fear. It's always there, you know, mm-hmm. comes and goes. So yeah, it's like you said, you get those receipts eventually when you start seeing, seeing it all <laughs> playing out in your own family. And I, I mean, I experienced that 
for sure. And especially coming from the background of education. It's like, who Mm -hmm. am I to buck this system that's been in place for so long? Who do you think you are? (laughs) Sure. And you do get the receipts. Like I'm watching my, uh, I've watched my almost seven-year-old learn to read on his own. Mm. And I say on his own, I don't, we, we live in a literate house. We have books on the shelf. We, you know, we, um, we watch leapfrog videos from the library, like just little, it's just life things like that. And he has taught himself to read and I watch him do it. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. well, what would have happened if when he was four or five, I sat and drilled him, would he still be like loving to like sit under a blanket for it and read his little book and sound out his words and be like, oh, he still has this light in his eyes. Like, mommy, look at, I can read this whole book. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's so cool to watch like and be a part of and help facilitate. It's kind of, it's an honor. It is. It's such an honor. And you know, it kind of, it's just ties in so beautifully to your own personal experience and your own journey of transformation and how you have to just be brave enough to step out. And, you know, when you want to change yourself, if you want to switch up something that's happening, if you want to break patterns, it just takes that, you have to take that step. Just one little steps. It really is. It's cliche, but it really is one day at a time for Mm -hmm. all these things. Um, And, and it's doing difficult things. Like I talked about going through my birth experience and when you, do difficult things, you start to trust yourself, you gain more self-respect. Yeah. And, and, and it all, yeah, it it all comes together. Confidence is action. I think that's where it comes from. You can't, you can't uh, read yourself into confidence. (laughs) You have to, you have to physically go out and do the thing. Yes. I had to sit for two years and watch my child not read. Right. (laughs) Like, thinking, oh my gosh, like I am talking about unschooling stuff. Like I do believe in this, but look at this child. He's not reading. Mm -hmm. Um, And I see some of his friends, they're five years old. They're reading books. They're writing words. I'm thinking, okay. So I have to sit in that like really uncomfortable place for a lot longer than I would really prefer to to have sat in it to then see him come out the other side. Like, look, mommy, look, I can read the whole book. Yeah. Read it out loud to me. And, and it's like, okay. Yeah. Well, I came out, I'm, you know, I'm seeing the other side of the tunnel, but that discomfort sitting in it, that I, it, that's what gives you the confidence. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, before we wrap up, I want you to share with everybody where they can find you and also about your writing on Substack. Sure. Um, I'm excited about Substack. Me too. I have recently moved my writing over there. Um, because I think it's really cool. I'm not super pumped about like the short attention span video stuff going on on some of the platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, and I do enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I know. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> um, I don't think it's something that I personally want to create at this point in my life. Um, I tried a couple times and it it didn't sit right with me. So I have moved over to Substack. Um, at the, um, my name over there is grow with them, uh, which I love because Mm -hmm. that's what this whole journey is. It's not just like, Oh, I'm teaching my kids or like I am growing right alongside them every day since they've were conceived, like for sure. And I have no doubt that that will continue to be the trajectory. Um, so I share over on Substack at grow with them and on Instagram at 
emma.hosfeld. It's H-O-S as in Sam, F as in Frank, E-L-D as in dog. It's a tricky name. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I kept wanting to throw an L in there. I always want to say Hosfeld. (laughs) I don't know why. Uh, I know. It's a, is yeah, it's a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> well, so before we completely say goodbye, are there any last minute or not last minute, but are there any um, take home messages or words of encouragement or any quotes or I- anything really, just whatever you feel like you want to leave people with? Hmm. I think um, that what we've kind of already said is like, get quiet, take a moment, sit down on your bed, wherever, and like, just get really quiet in your mind and look for that next right thing. And chances are, it's not going to be something that you want it to be. It's not like the easy thing, right? It's usually this, you know, it is back there. It's up there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do that, like get up and do that, be that person. Uh, if you get quiet and you think like, what, what kind of person do I want to be? Like, what would she do? And I think that's actually really powerful. Like it's kind of cliche, but it it's like, what would she do is usually something that requires a lot of vulnerability. Um, it requires like probably being kind of awkward at first. And, and, and so it's not, it's not what you want it to be, but it is what's going to move you forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's like uh, accepting that those challenges are an opportunity to do better. Right. Like, um, if you haven't listened to it, go and listen to the uh, the Jocko Willink Good on YouTube. Okay. And it's like there's a challenge. Good. It's an opportunity to do better. It's an opportunity, you know, like something didn't work out for me. Good. That's fine. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity for me to live out my values. Um, and I think that mindset can change everything. It re- it's really powerful. Thank you for listening. It is my wish for each of these conversations that you leave feeling inspired and having learned something new or maybe even challenged to take a look at your own life and your own situation and make adjustments. I think Emma provides some really, really good thoughts and insights and um, I encourage you to share along her journey on Substack and on Instagram. And I also need to make a slight correction. I said my son was born in 2001 and he was not. <laughs> he was born in 2002. It made me laugh when I when I was reviewing the, the our conversation and I heard that and I thought, oh my gosh. But, you know, that's what happens sometimes when you're in conversation with people. Those dates and little specifics like that can get a bit muddied. It's not that um, I forgot when my son was born. It's just that what I spit out and what is real did not quite line up. So keep that in mind when you are listening to others speak that sometimes they might not say it correctly the first time, but I'm here to edit myself and to update that tiny fact. As always, stay curious, stay connected, and stay aware. Until next time.